welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Well, hello everybody. Welcome back to another Knock On Podcast. Sorry it's uh, been a little while here since I've done the last one, but uh, I've had a ton of irons in the fire uh, between uh, having to head out of town, do a few seminars at some different places, met some great people, um, I guess in a few different countries here, but then also a family came into town so um, from England, so I've uh, definitely been enjoying a little bit of family time too, but uh, definitely got to get back to all you who are in my archery family. So uh, we're going to get into several different topics here. Um, definitely going to utilize this podcast to kind of hash through the millions of questions that I've got stacked up here since I've kind of turned the uh, social media world off for about 10 days now so now I'm paying the price by the extreme backup that's in front of me but uh, just to give you guys a a few little uh, heads up things about I guess what's what's going on with me first off uh, on my Facebook page my personal page the John Dudley page that's maxed out Um, so you know I had to create the the fan page John Dudley so if you're one of the people who are listening to the podcast sent me a friend request and I'm not responding it's simply because I can't and there's almost a few thousand friend requests right now that are sitting in that box so unless I take the hatchet to somebody I'm not going to be able to get you in but you can go to um, the knock on TV fan page and also the John Dudley, uh, I guess, fan page or athlete page, whatever they call it. So if I'm not accepting your friend request, don't take it personally. Uh, That's just kind of what I'm faced with right now. Um, Also, uh, we're working on a brand new knock-on website for our gear. A lot of demand for that right now. Uh, some cool new stuff coming in. We're waiting on some new hats too that I think uh, people are going to be excited about. But uh, you know, the web address is going to be the same, knockonarchery.com. But we are going to have a brand new look here within the next few days. So uh, maybe take a look for that. And also, uh, you know, if you've got a cool picture in your knock on stuff, definitely. Uh, message me that picture if you use a, a good camera and you send me a full res picture um, you know I'll probably use it somewhere if you take a really good picture on a like a white background make sure you use a flash you know it might even be something that we can use in one of our Facebook banners or our website banners too so get creative and uh, you know definitely send me something if you're supporting us right now um and then i guess the last thing is you know as you guys might have seen on the facebook page um i have solidified um a cool event with the dublin archers in ireland um it's actually over fourth of july weekend which um you know i guess 
for the American people, they're questioning why I'm going to be missing our 4th of July and being over there, but um, I've got to be over there prior to that event for something else anyway. So um, if you are anywhere over in the UK or or uh, close by Ireland, you might want to check into a, a cheap flight to uh, jump across and check that out for that weekend. So we're going to do a cool seminar over there cover a lot of topics, uh, get in depth, definitely handle, um, a lot of question and answers and, uh, you know, put, put on a pretty cool show for you. So I'm going to jump in to some of the first questions here. Um, the first one I've got, uh, that I wanted to talk about was from, um, I think it's Brad McAfee and, uh, he's asking, um, Let's see, he said his question is really about how to determine arrow length and uh, how I decide on what arrow length I use for my setup. And he says he just always has cut his arrows about an inch in front of the riser um, for broadhead clearance or for point clearance. And, uh, you know, to be honest with you, there's a couple things there. I've been asked um, a few different questions here in the last few days about cutting arrows. First off, several people have sent me emails about cutting of the Easton Pro Tours, um, and they've asked if they should cut off the back of those shafts. The question or the answer is no. Definitely do not cut off the back of an Easton Pro Tour. Um, it's you know since it's a parallel shaft on the rear portion of that of that arrow you don't want to cut off that part of the arrow because you actually will weaken it instead of stiffen it which you do on like an x10 so if you have a pro tour only cut off the front if you need to slightly modify the spine you need to do it with point weight um, or with your poundage on your bow itself Um, but when it comes to this question that brad answered or asked um, i always cut mine as close to my rest as I can, I guess, to still be safe. If it's a hunting arrow, I definitely keep the blades in front of my hand or at least over the top of my hand in case something happens because, you know, I've been around way too long to see um, loops break or misfires or whatever, and you don't want to have a blade behind your hand for that. Um, But for my target arrows, I always shot them fairly close. The only thing is for for a lot of you guys out there who are still kind of playing around with your equipment and learning proper form and things like that, if you cut your arrows too close to that rest, obviously, and then all of a sudden someone lets you know that your draw length's too short and you need to lengthen your draw length a half inch or an inch, then all of a sudden your arrows are too short. So, you know, kind of be mindful of that. Um, give yourself a little room so that if you ever need to play with your draw length, you can. But, uh, you know, I prefer to have them as close as possible simply because, you know, the shorter your arrow, the better it's going to perform aerodynamically in the wind. So that's really my preference. I don't have any exact measurement, but typically, you know, a half inch to to a full inch overhang from my rest is about what I go with. My next question is uh, from Sam Baldwin. Um, and he asks, when I'm shooting half my shots, 
Um, half of them go straight, and the other half tend to float to the left of the eight ring at 70 meters. And he said he checked his center shot and his cam lean, and they all seem fine. But when he does shoot, some of his shots always go to the left. Um, my response to that was, you know, sometimes with, well, one, when you guys send me questions without seeing you shoot, these are really difficult. I mean, um, I can give you my, my best guess, but you know, this could be a number of things. It could be form related or it could be equipment related. It could be, you know, aerospine related, but, um, for whatever reason, my question to Sam was, you know, have you really paid attention to your follow through? Because your follow through is going to be critical to um, where that arrow starts to go when it leaves your bow. And a lot of people don't think about that fraction of a second after the release fires. They think about okay, if I execute a good shot, then the shot's gone. But there is fractions of a second, um, you know, I guess for me about 18 thousandths of a second from when the release clicks to when that arrow actually clears my target bow. And those few fractions of a second um, immediately give determination on the direction of the arrow. If you, just like with a recurve shooter or finger shooter, if you pluck your fingers out away from your face, you're going to send that arrow off to the left. And a lot of people do that with mechanical releases too. A very common problem that people have when they execute a shot is pulling their hand out away from their face and also dropping their release hand straight down as they hit the trigger. So what I would recommend is really focus on um, your follow through, you know, you need to, um, you need to be able to, as you pull and your shot fires, you need to focus on pulling that release hand back around and over the top of your rear shoulder. So that way you keep your release hand in the direct line of the string instead of pulling it out side of that line. It's going to make a big difference. I'm trying to look here um, as we're talking. I actually know that uh, that I wrote a store uh, an article um, about that, and I'm not really sure what the name of it was because I was going to be able to try to get you guys going on the right direction. Um, you could definitely go to uh, if you go to DudleyArchery.info or if you go to KnockOnTV.com, click on the articles tab. You're going to be able to find an article uh, an article on that, and uh, you know I know that I did one on proper follow through, and I had some pictures um, kind of showing an over the top view of that execution and what it should look like. But if you're having problems with you know these wild arrows going out to the left, if you're a right handed shooter. Uh, and you feel like your pin was on the center, you feel like everything's good, it's probably going to be related to to one of your two hands if your equipment is all set up properly. Um, I wrote an article uh, that's also on the website several years ago called Hands and Feet, 
and uh, it was an article that I did for Bow International, and it just talks about um, the importance of what your hands and your, uh, you know, what importance those have when it comes to um, your shot reaction. And obviously your front hand, your bow hand, is the first and last thing to determine the path of the arrow. Um, You know, as you shoot, your front hand, you know, as soon as the release fires, your bow actually, you know, your string goes towards the bow. Uh, Your bow is going to come towards the string. Um, You know, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So your bow is going to initially come towards the string until it pushes against your palm, and then it's going to react by going forward and if you have any type of you know any type of variance in your front hand pressure then as soon as that bow compresses against your palm before it launches forward you're going to ultimately turn that riser and give that riser a predetermined direction as it projects forward likewise your rear hand your release hand um, is going to do exactly what i just talked about it's going to Um, If you bring your hand out away from your face, then that arrow is going to start to to go towards the inside of the riser first, and then it's going to, as it clears the rest, it's going to go out to the outside of the riser, sending that arrow out to the left. Um, likewise, if you br- if you bring that hand down, if your release hand drops down, you're also struggle with some some highs and some lows. So focus on as soon as that you know and I call it a finish um, as soon as that that release clicks and you're pulling with your elbow back towards that wall behind you you need to be able to focus on driving that elbow back and bringing that release hand around and over the top of your shoulder and and you do that by flexing your bicep as you contract your bicep, you help bring that release hand up and over. If your biceps relax, then your hand starts to go out and away from your face. And that was something that I actually learned um, several years back from a good friend of mine, um, Fred Van Zupfen, um, over in the Never- Netherlands. You know, I was I was shooting indoor, and I swung by JVD to do a little bit of practice, and I was shooting with Fred. And, uh, and Fred, you know, had noticed that I wasn't completely finishing my shot and bringing that release hand um, over the top of my shoulder. So he talked with me about the bicep contraction, and it made a big difference for me. Um, so, you know, definitely focus on that. It should, uh, you know, I'm, I'm actually supposed to have an article in to one of the magazines today and well I had wrote an article but evidently someone else wrote on the same subject so now I'm forced with with giving them a new one here last minute and uh, one of the things that I'm considering making this article on is picking one thing at a time to focus on as an archer because a lot of archers they try to think about too many things at once and you know you have to look at your archery um, almost like you know building a set of steps. Focus on one thing and build it until you're comfortable with it, and then move on to the next thing. 
you know, one of the difficult parts of being a beginner uh, to really any sport, golf or archery or whatever, is they'll tell you everything you need to do to swing properly or everything that you need to do to shoot properly. And you try to think about all of it at one time and you end up doing none of it perfect. Whereas if you really focused on one thing and perfected that, then you would start to build that as a habit and be be able to move on to the next thing. And uh, that's what I think you guys should do if you're struggling with, um, with those arrows that are going a little bit wild. Focus on your follow-through and really worry more about that finish than you do about like your hold. Um, and you're going to find that those arrows are going to really start to go in the center, and you're also going to see pretty quick how much... Uh, that's going to just start to happen naturally without you thinking about it each and every day that you focus on that. Uh, as we were talking here, I did go through um, the articles, and I found the one that I was talking about on this subject. Um, it's called The Golden Rules or Stay Golden. And, uh, you know, it pretty much says that, uh, you know, it talks about, again, how to properly follow through and it shows a good picture there um of how that that release hand should look upon you know the execution so the next question here is um from smoky deramus um he's asking what my thoughts are on tiller tune he says that um, he says, I often back out the top limb slightly so that I don't have to fight my bow from dipping below the target. Um, he said, I don't know if it works or if it's mental. Well, it's probably mental, Smokey. So, my, I enjoy tiller tuning. I think it does have an importance, but not like it used to. The way limbs are made now, they're so precise um, I know that, you know, when we were making limbs, you know, they're, they're cut, you know, they're not cut by hand anymore. They're all cut on a computer. They're cut with a laser jet. They go through a planer. Um, they go into a digital flexing machine that flexes the limbs and measure them, you know, to a thousandth of a pound. So there's just no way that us as humans can actually, um, recognize a variance in these limbs coming out of the factories now you know so back in the day when things were made out of wood you know some limbs did have a slightly different flex than other and sometimes the tiller tuning had an importance but when it comes to actually balancing the limbs uh the way the they're made now they're just so far beyond us um tiller tuning does have a purpose though um, when you tiller tune, anytime you adjust your tillers, you're going to micro adjust your draw length. Um, you also, if you only do one, you're ultimately micro adjusting your cam synchronization. Um, and if you only adjust one, you're also micro adjusting your pulling position because you're you know if say you back your top limb out you're going to lower your knocking point on the string and what that does is that changes the relationship between your pulling point and your pivot point on your bow 
So if you naturally are setting, you know, when you set your bow up, if you're putting your arrow in a position um, on the rest each and every time, you know, when you screw your rest on your bow for your first time and you adjust the rest up or down, and then you tie your knocking point, say, at 90 degrees, if you do that in the same position every time and then you're saying, you know, once I... Um, once I adjust my tiller, you know, and you, you say that you back off the top tiller, well, by doing that, you're actually bringing your knocking point down. So you're bringing your pulling position closer to the pivot position on the riser. So, you know, by doing that, the bow might be holding steadier simply because of that relationship more so than actually balancing the limb. So, what I would recommend doing, and this is what I do with all bows, and, and um, I actually told this story just, it was to a pretty high-level archer. I'm not even sure who it was, but, you know, we were talking about building bows that were completely equal. And, you know, a lot of times as a professional, you're traveling with two bows, and you want to, you know, at the time, um, back when I competed, you know, I always, I had three bows on the go all the time. I had my number one, which I didn't mess with. I had a number two bow that I continually tried to get as close as I could to my number one. But then I also had a third bow that I just played around with, you know, miscellaneous different types of thoughts or configurations, maybe different arrows. Um, that was kind of my experimental bow, but I always kept my number one the exact same and tried to get my number two as close as possible. And one time, um, you know, for those of you don't, who don't know, um, you know, I worked, I worked for Matthews for a long time and, uh, I actually decided to make, um, triplets, three bows that were totally identical. So, um, I had the machine shop make three risers um, out of the exact same machine. Um, those three risers uh, were all stamped, and they all went to the, the same anodizer. Um, they all got buffed the exact same by the same person. Um, well, two of them got the same color. One of them got a different color. Um, and then the limbs were all cut out of the exact same plate, um, they were all plain at the same time. They were all painted at the exact same time. And then all three of my strings came from the exact same spool. They came off the the exact same windmill that was built at the, you know, all three were built perfectly identical. Then when I built them uh, and set them up, I set up all three bows to read exactly identical on an Instron machine. So I literally had three perfect matches. And so I was convinced that I was going to have three bows that shot exactly the same. So I went ahead and set them all up. Um, and what was amazing was I set up one bow, shot really good, set up the next bow, shot good as well, but it felt different to the first. It, it, it held differently. It pointed differently. And I just couldn't believe the fact that, you know, after all that trouble, I was still back in the exact same position of I had a second bow that wasn't a perfect match to the front. So then that's when I kind of decided, okay, well, there's got to be something to this. 
I need to find out exactly what does make these bows different. So I started measuring everything possible and the only thing that was different in any of the bows was that I had there was a slight variance, you know, a sixteenth of an inch or, you know, a few a few millimeters up or down in where I had originally set the knocking positions on each of the bows. So then what I did was I really started focusing on um, using a square, setting it on the riser and marking on the extreme the exact pulling position that I wanted and I found the bow that worked the best and then I set the other two up to where the the knocking points were exactly the same as the one that I liked the best. And that was when I finally got bows that were equal in how they fit and how they, and how they felt, how they aimed. Um, you know, it's, it's easy to get a bow that feels the same when you pull it back and, you know, the draw and the holding weight, but to actually get one that sits exactly the same, it's pretty, it's pretty rare. And actually, um, when I was in Telford, um, I was looking at uh, Erica Jones's setups, and she was shooting two bows during the during the whole round because she said neither of these bows shoots any worse than the other. They both shoot exactly the same, and I'll guarantee you that by chance she had done exactly what I'm talking about. She had two bows that were the same out of the box, but then she was lucky enough to get the pulling points in the pivot, you know, in relation to the pivot point, exactly the same to where those bows felt exactly the same. And, uh, you know, that pulling position, uh, depending on the type of bow, it'll, it'll slightly change your, your knock travel. Um, you know, it'll definitely change, like I said, how the bow holds, because obviously it's, you know, you're completing a try a triangle when you pull the bow back so you know if you're looking to make something feel exactly the same that's how to do it in and i guess in regards to tiller tune i do tiller tune as well um for adjusting my poundage you know i've talked in the past about when i i tune arrows i set up my bow but i tune arrows i tune arrows by adjusting the poundage on my bow so that my bow has an, a perfect match for arrow spine. So, you know, some of my bows are bottomed all the way out, but some of my bows um, have some of the poundage taken off. And it's just a matter of finding uh, what exact bow weight works the best for the arrow that I have. So, Smokey. Uh, some of what you're talking about could be mental, but you know, I guess if you're wanting to know the, the real importance to tiller tuning, hopefully I've covered it for you. I'm going to take a quick little sip of coffee here. I think that's important for everybody in the morning. Have a little bit of coffee. Um, my next question here is from, uh, Daniel Giel. Um, he's asking my opinion on... Um, on the Carter two shot, um, you know, he kind of, he says that I've focused a lot on talking about handheld releases that help people with target panic and stuff. But what about the wrist strap shooters? And, uh, I, I definitely feel for you. I, I like shooting a wrist strap release. I actually think they're probably 
one of the most accurate, you know, styles of releases out there and, you know, how they come off the string and, and, uh, I've, I get terrific Aeroflight with an index release. Um, but in saying that, obviously it's the one that gives people the most trouble when it comes to anticipation. Um, the Carter two shot is one that I've used. Um, I actually use a couple different Carters when it comes to if I shoot an, an index finger release or a wrist strap release, I either use the two shot or, um, I've also used the RX one, I think, um, you know, I like if you have a, a trigger release, um, a caliper release that the trigger functions off pressure and not travel, then you're going to be able to learn the type of shot execution that I've talked about through all these podcasts. It's when you have the triggers that you can feel them move before they fire. Those are the ones that are going to get you in trouble because your brain picks up on that movement and then you start to anticipate it or you start to just punch through that movement. The Carter Two Shot is a, a dual sear index finger release that works off pressure just like a gun trigger. Um, you can adjust it to where it takes several pounds to fire or or you can adjust it to where it's super, super light. But you'll never feel the, tr- the trigger move. You'll just feel the difference in pressure, which then ultimately fires um, the two sears and fires the release open. What you want to do on an index finger release, if you're looking for the type of shot that we've talked about on several of these podcasts, it's important that you learn to get your index finger all the way around the trigger. The people that put the the trigger right on the tip of their index finger, those are going to be the ones that get in trouble. By putting your finger all the way around, um, wrapping your index finger around to where it's sitting, the trigger post is sitting between your two joints, that allows you to then pull back with your elbow and apply the pressure um, on that trigger with a part of your finger that isn't so sensitive. When you put it on that fingertip, you can feel every little minor fraction of a pressure change, which ultimately starts to create that anticipation. I found by that getting my finger all the way around it and getting that trigger deep inside that that tissue that curls up in between your two joints, you don't feel the pressure change near as much and it allows you to really focus more on pulling that elbow back and keeping your finger in the exact same position rather than having to uh, move your finger to get it to fire. When I pull back a wrist strap release I'll normally have um, my thumb and my middle finger to my pinky wrapped around the release uh you know the strap and the buckle and i'll pull back with the majority of the weight on those four fingers then i'll set my index finger i'll wrap it around that trigger post i'll relax the four fingers that i had gripping around the strap and the and the the release extension so that almost all the weight of that release is just sitting on my index finger And from there, with my other four fingers relaxed, I keep my index finger wrapped around and in a fixed position, 
and I'll just focus on driving that elbow back, pulling that elbow straight back behind me, and then, you know, get a perfect shot execution. Um, you know, I'm trying to look here to see, once again, if I've got a an article in relation to that. Um, I know that when I do my seminars, I have some pictures showing... Um, exactly how you want to shoot an index release and exactly how you want to shoot um, you know a handheld release because ultimately they're fairly similar in in how they're positioned um, just looking here it looks like if you go to um, once again dudleyarchery.info or knockontv.com click on the articles tab Look for an article that's called Anchorage or Anchor Up. Um, it's a it's specifically in relation to the release hand, and on the third page of that article, um, there's a picture showing at the bottom. Um, I've got a camo shirt on and a green hat, and it shows the exact position that I'm talking about. How I want you to shoot a wrist strap release. Uh, being able to curl your index finger all the way around that release. And what I like about the the Carter 2-shot is that you can adjust it to where that release is fairly stiff without having the travel. A lot of the caliper releases that are on the market, if you make them really tight to where you can get a lot of your finger around that trigger without it firing, then what happens is as you start to pull, you can feel that movement because you've tried to stiffen it up. Whereas with the 2-shot, you can actually make it to where it takes a lot of pressure for that to fire. And I like I like to be able to have that because I do what's called preloading. You know, like I said, I get a big portion of my finger around that trigger and you know, and I get some pressure on there and I want to be able to do that without it firing. Um, that's what I call the preload. And if you um, if you download that article or open that article again I think it's anchor up or anchorage um, and on that third page there's a picture there of me shooting a caliper release and you can see the actual white around where I have my finger wrapped around that that trigger you can see that there's quite a bit of pressure already built on that trigger before I've even started to pull my elbow straight back um, and that's, I think that's an important quality that you need to be able to do with any type of index finger release. Otherwise, you're just going to start taking swats at it. You know, once again, be able to do um, a, what I call a preload. It's pretty important. Um, next question here is going to be from uh, Chris Christensen. Um, he's got a shop um, over in northern Illinois. Um, I really like his logo too. It's a super cool logo. But uh, Chris and his wife have been good friends for many, many years. And uh, actually, we met. I think we met one time when he had he had got Dave Cousins to come in to do a seminar. And uh, and I guess most of his customers were Matthews guys. And I remember Dave calling me one Friday evening and saying, "I've got a whole bunch of Matthews people in here." Um, I can't really, they've got some, they're wanting me to work on their bows and I'm not really sure on these bows that they got. So he asked me to come down. So I ended up 
coming down um, for the last day of a seminar and working with those Matthews guys and uh, met Chris and his wife and just uh, really, really good people from Obsession Archery. They've got a really cool looking logo too. Um, but he's asking me about setting the peep height and uh, how I go about determining my peep height. Um, he's, he's asking specifically about for field archery and uh, really regardless of what style of archery you're shooting um you want to set your peep height to be comfortable um you know at the preferred distance like for indoor obviously it's easy you just get it to where you're the most comfortable at 20 meters and you don't you're not ever moving your sight so you're kind of comfortable all the time whereas with field archery your feta obviously you're moving your sight from the top distance all the way to the bottom distance so you know, the, the shorter the distance, the higher your sight's going to be on the frame, which means, you know, you kind of have to smash your face a little bit more into the string to be able to look through your peep sight up to where your sight pin is. And then obviously on the longer distance, you know, you're going to feel like you're almost floating in your anchor position. I always set mine to where, um, when I shot full fetus, I set it to where I was most comfortable at 70 meters simply because... Um, the elimination rounds were at 70 meters, so that's where I really needed to perform. Did it uh, hurt me a little bit at 30 and at 90? Yeah, it certainly did. Um, you know, if you really want to focus on shooting a, a 1400, um, you know, and I had this discussion with Martin Damsbo years ago when he actually shot his first one. Because he was saying, you know, I feel like I feel like if I was comfortable all the time, I could easily shoot a 1400. So I said, well, why not just move your peep to where you're, where you are comfortable? Um, so he went ahead and you know made little marks on his string to where he could have his peep in a in one position for the thirty and fifty distances, but then another position for the seventy ninety, and then he cracked the fourteen hundred mark. Uh, your sight scales are going to be a little bit different, obviously, because you're moving your peep. But he knew where those marks were, and he was able to finally crack that 1400 mark. For field archery, I always set mine um, right at the middle distance. So when I shot feet of field, which is always my favorite, um, you know, it was anywhere from 15, I guess 10 meter, I think it was 10 meter. We had some 10 meter bunnies, but 10 to 60 meters. I always set mine right at the 40 meter mark. I just felt super comfortable in between. Um, I didn't feel uncomfortable um, from 40 to 60, which is uh, a distance that's pretty important uh, for that. And then, you know, obviously, since it was really only 20 meter difference from the bunnies or from the birdie shots, uh, I felt really comfortable there too. So go ahead and set it, if you're shooting field archery, set it in the middle of your scale. Same if you're a 3D shooter. You know, if you know that if you know you're going to be shooting average shots are going to be, you know, 35 yards. That's why it's important if you're a 3D shooter. It's important to take notes. I took notes, um, you know, and kind of wrote down what. As soon as I'd come off the range, I'd try to write down well what were you know my targets. You know, this one was this. This one was this. And you know that way I knew right off the bat. Okay, that course averaged. 38 yards or 
you know, it got to the point where you know, okay, the ASA is going to average this distance. The IBO is going to average about this distance. And you can kind of get that peep set right at that average to where you're going to be comfortable for the majority of the time. Um, the next question I got here is for from Darren Rogers. Um, and he said that he's kind of asking, said that he listened to one of the previous podcasts. And he's asking about a little bit of treatment for tendonitis. Um, or anything that I could recommend. Uh, he's got some pain in his bow arm. And I've actually had two different conversations on this same subject this week. And, um, you know, that tendonitis in your front arm, those types of pains are usually going to be um, related to, uh, you know, shooting high weight or definitely shooting with improper um, alignment. So, you know, you need to really focus on trying to get, I know that I used to shoot my bow that was a little bit too short and I really paid the price for having sore elbow and sore shoulder, um, a sore neck all the time. But once I really extended myself out and learned to get my front shoulder down and forward, um, utilize proper alignment through the front end, you know, through the front half of my body, um, which actually in that article that I talked about, um, for anchorage, there's an important picture, um, on that third page. Once again, at the bottom, you is where the picture was, um, of me shooting the index release right above that. There's a picture of me, um, in a black shirt, long sleeve shirt, and it shows proper alignment. And that proper alignment is going to be critical to you eliminating any type of tendonitis that you have in your front arm. Obviously, if you're dealing with that, um, it can take a long time. Um, I had, I've had some problems, like I said, in my bow arm, um, right where my bicep connects to the elbow and also where my forearm connects. And mine right now is from shooting years of the wrong way and being too short, to be honest with you. Um, so what I have to do is if it flares up, sometimes you got to take a break. You know, it, uh, if you keep, if you keep messing with it, it just gets more and more aggravated. Um, you know, I take some anti-inflammatories, I take some ibuprofen when it is bothering me. Otherwise I've gotten the habit of, uh, I actually bought some, some of that gel that has a little bit of it's got a little bit of medication in it too but it's called biofreeze and i take that biofreeze every night before i go to bed i put it in on my elbow and i really rub it in deep and just dig around in there and try to really focus on rubbing um those all those connective uh tendons you know, you recognize the directions that they, they travel on your arm. You know, they typically are running in the same direction as your arm bones. But I'll just go ahead and use that and just rub it really hard to the almost to the point where it's kind of painful. But, you know, from what I've been told um, by the, the guys that work on me and work on my joints, you know, you got to separate those muscle tissues that are that have the scar tissue in there. And uh, that biofreeze works really good. Um, you know, that next day I can definitely tell a difference. If you get in the habit of just doing that each evening before you go to bed, then, uh, you know, then you're going to be in good shape. The 
the biofreeze tube kind of looks like some aquafresh toothpaste so i wouldn't keep it by your bathroom sink because if you brush your teeth with it it's not good believe me and uh you know don't uh, don't get it in your eyes either but that's what i do and works really really well just uh, make a habit of it and i think you're going to be happy with with what you find um i did have a question from aiden ellis um he was asking as well um about the you know the trigger versus the hinge also the benefits to both um talks a little bit about uh you know whether or not he feels like you know the trigger is better to have for in the wind um you know i when it comes to shooting in the wind i just i've just come to accept that i'm not going to shoot as good in the windy conditions i just focus on pulling through making executions whatever happens happens you know a lot of times uh you know, you're not going to score at your best, especially if you're a puller. Those are kind of the days that the punchers tend to, to have their way with everybody, and and so be it. Uh, you know, I, I just, I know that for me to have one good day at a tournament in a wind is definitely not worth me having the next four years of target panic. That's how I look at it. Um, you know, you got to take the good with the bad. Uh, you know, honestly, people don't really remember what happened at archery tournaments. I know that there's so many people that stress themselves out because they're like, oh man, I shot really bad. look like an idiot out here. And, you know, and they're, and that's kind of dragging them down. That mental process is in their head and they're like overthinking that. And it's like, you know what, dude, Three weeks from now, there's going to be another tournament. Everyone's going to know what happened there, and everyone's going to forget about what happened here. So, you know, just focus on making your shots. Focus on doing what's going to help you be a a better archer in the long run, and that's proper execution. Um, You know, once again, some of the best shooters in the world are shooting hinge releases in the wind, in the World Cups, every single day. So... If you're having a problem shooting that style of release in the wind and you're wanting to fall back on a caliper release, then my response is you haven't actually been able to overcome your target panic or your anticipation yet. Um, You know, people say, well, I don't really feel like I have panic. I just, you know, I prefer to shoot a caliper in the wind or, you know, I don't want to shoot an evolution in a tournament because, you know, I don't know, I'm worried about not being able to get the shot to go off. It's like, well take that next step you know you might have a bad tournament or two but wait till you see how well you shoot once you build the confidence of i can literally shoot any release i want in any condition and i'll just focus on execution because when you can when you can make that step then you've you've stepped into a whole new realm for sure so my last question here is from Corey Tanner. Um, you know, he's asking, should he shoot one eye open or both eyes open? And uh, and then he also says, when he tries to shoot with one eye open or with both eyes open, he gets a starburst. So um, that was one thing I struggled with too, younger in my career. Um, I always shot with one eye closed simply because you know I got a better sight picture. I didn't have double vision. Um, but I learned really quick that shooting in those dark situations, especially as a 3d shooter, and then eventually as a hunter, 
Um, having both eyes open, when you open both eyes, you definitely let more light in. So you're going to have a much brighter uh, picture through your scope. So definitely learn to shoot with both eyes open. For me, in order to learn to do that, I actually had to shoot with a little blinder clipped on my hat that shielded my left eye when I look forward. I always had my eye open, but I had that blinder that just shielded a little bit. I kind of cut up a credit card and put some black electrical tape on it, trimmed it to where it cleared my string and everything, and I had a little kind of a pen mark on my hat where I knew where to clip it each time. And I shot with that blinder for about a year or a year and a half, and then eventually... I started taking the blinder off and it's almost like my body start. I think I had equal eyes and dominance. So that's why I got that double vision. But once my body realized, okay, you know, when we're looking, left eyes looking at target, right eyes looking through the scope. Um, then I was able to shoot with both eyes open with a perfectly clear sight picture. So shoot with both eyes open, try a blinder. And I think you're going to be really happy with uh with the extra brightness that you're going to find but uh i just want to take this last few minutes here to just thank everybody once again um you know i i really appreciate all the positive feedback appreciate everyone letting me know how much these podcasts are helping you all and uh you know once again that totally makes all this worthwhile for me um make sure you check out the new knock on archery website and then also um, you know, utilize these really nice days of summer to get out there and focus on once again, one thing at a time, focus on picking one thing and learning to do it right instead of focusing on everything and only doing it half, half, half right. So, um, hopefully I can get another podcast out here soon enough. Summer is an incredibly busy time for me. Um, I'm working so much with, with the different teams, um, and different, uh, different high level archers right now. So I'm having to, uh, to unfortunately not be able to focus on the social media side, but I will do my best everyone to keep these podcasts rolling. And, uh, once again, make sure you share them, share them and let people know. I appreciate it and, uh, shoot well, everybody. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock on lifestyle clothing knockonarchery.com